Hey, this is Andrew Bryant. I'm an author and speaker on the topic of self-leadership. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in this fast-moving world, and I want to welcome you to today's episode. I have a guest with me. His name's Andrew Bryant. He is a certified speaking professional, and he's the number one global speaker on self-leadership, a C-suite advisor, and an award-winning coach and a best-selling author. Andrew's on a mission to wake up people to their best possible selves and has been doing this for 20 plus years through his books, conference keynotes, leadership team facilitation, and executive coaching. He has an external faculty for several universities and contributes to women and leadership programs, but is most proud of the work he does building self-esteem and confidence for at-risk teenagers. English by birth, Australian by passport, and Brazilian by wife, with clients from Singapore to Silicon Valley, he has recently settled in Portugal. Andrew walks the talk with the flexibility and perspective to successfully traverse cultures. Andrew, a big welcome to you. Hello, Dennis. It's my pleasure to be on the show. Uh, It's great to have you here. Now, I've told our listeners a little bit about your background. Is there anything else? Tell me, is there anything else you'd like to share about your background? Honestly, no. (laughs) I actually always hate that question. I recently turned 60 and uh, I was being asked by a prospective new client in in India to tell me about themselves. And I just realized that, you know, I said, well, how far do you want me to go back? And she said, to the beginning. I said, well, you weren't even born (laughs) at the beginning, right? So... The potted history of who I am is English by birth. I went to an English grammar school. I was a pretty good science student. And, and I had my eyes set on, on being a doctor. I was influenced by those movies, Doctors in the, Doctor in the House. Uh, they merged my boys' grammar school with a girls' high school just before my A-levels. And uh, I got distracted. And uh, I didn't get the grades for medicine, but I got the grades for physiotherapy. So I graduated as a physiotherapist way back in 1982, hence the reason why I'm saying this girl didn't, <laughs> wasn't even born yet. I worked for a couple of years in hospitals, and that taught me a lot about organization and hierarchy. And then I did what most male physios do is I got involved in sport. I was, uh, I was a physio with the Bally Rombert and uh, First Division Soccer Club. I won't mention it just in case I, I upset some of the listeners. People are very... Uh, very loyal to their team. So I was uh, a sports physio, moved to Australia in the uh, 80s as an entrepreneur. I set up a chain of physiotherapy and acupuncture clinics because by this time I had a postgraduate in traditional Chinese medicine. 
And I got interested in holistic wellness and I purchased a gym and turned it into a holistic wellness center. And I was ahead of my time because I was disrupted by the movement of US and South African big gym chains into Australian market. And I tried to compete on price when I was in fact delivering service and I lost everything. And so in the year 2000, uh, I wasn't taken out by the, the, the Y2K bug. I was taken out by business reality and I lost everything. I lost houses, cars, self-esteem, sense of purpose. And I was living in a backpackers hostel in King's Cross, which was not a very nice area of Sydney at that time. And that's when I kind of had the revelation after a period of licking my wounds and feeling sorry for myself that I actually needed to practice what I preach around the mental toughness and resilience to come back. And that's where I formulated uh, and began to articulate my message on self-leadership, which has been my area of speaking, coaching, consulting, writing ever since that time. Self-leadership listeners, Andrew's just sharing. Practice what you preach. That's a pretty cool statement just there. We could probably end the episode just on that. But I think it's a very powerful statement that you've just made there. And what do you mean practice your, what you preach? What should people do about that, Andrew? Well, it really is you know, the core of authenticity, right? I had worked with athletes looking at goal setting and visualization, and I'd, you know, I'd spoken to people about being successful. But here I was, knocked for six, as it were, and I had to get a hold of my own mental attitude. And thankfully, I had previously read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, where he talks about you know, that uh, the last of all human freedoms is the freedom to choose our own attitude. And of course, that really is the heart of self-leadership. And so I had to face my reality. And I, I use an acronym now with my clients, accept the reality. It is what it is. There's no point complaining that it's not fair. I have to accept this is the reality. I have to adjust my behaviors if I want to advance. So accept, adjust, and advance. And the definition that I use with uh, my co-author of a 2012 book we wrote on the topic of self-leadership is the practice of intentionally influencing your thinking, feeling, and actions towards your objectives. So key here is, is leadership is always about taking people to group goals. So you have to have outcomes. You have to decide that you want to move somewhere. And you have to take ownership and responsibility of your thoughts, feelings, and actions towards that. Nobody's going to turn up on a white horse and rescue you. You've got to do it yourself to the most part. That doesn't mean you don't reach out and ask for help. But you ask for help in a way that, hey, I'm doing this. Will you will you join me in the endeavor? Not will you do it for me? And and the key to the definition is it's the practice of intentionally influencing. The 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 great Zig Ziglar, the the sales motivational speaker of the United States, used to talk about motivation is like taking a shower. The effect is not permanent. And you know, just self-leadership is a daily practice. Every day that you wake up, you open your eyes, you take a shower, you get your clothes on, you go to work or you look after your family, whatever it is that you do, you start anew. You have to get your attitude right and then you have to get your actions right. Yeah, excellent. And, and Andrew, when you've been sharing that, is that is that actually how you got into leadership, that through losing the other business and so forth and then getting into the leadership side or was there something else that got you into leadership? It was a little bit of both. So I'd already start, before the collapse of my business, I'd already started speaking and I'd spoken at various business conferences. After I lost everything, I was building back my consulting business 
And it came, I came to the attention of a managing director of a company who realized that as a physiotherapist, I'd helped his sports team improve. And he said, well, why don't you come and work with my management team? Because they suck. And, <laughs> <laughs> and the interesting thing was I turned up with a, a tabular razor, a blank sheet of paper, unlike consulting companies who turn up with their methodology, right? And, and prescribe them. I went with a curiosity and I'd learned NLP modeling skills. And I had my, my background in traditional Chinese medicine looking at what are the influences that create the reality. So I went into his team with open eyes and a, and a blank notebook. And I noted what was working, what was not, what were the drivers for performance? What were the inhibitors to performance? And I began to make some changes and they were successful. And then I realized I was onto something, but I had a bit of imposter syndrome because I didn't have an MBA and I thought that's what I needed to be a leadership consultant. So I went off to do an MBA and on my, on the organizational behavior and leadership course, I kept arguing with the lecturer because he was saying, well, there's this theory and there's this theory. And I go, yeah, but how does that work in reality? And he said, well, you've got some good questions. Why don't you go and do your own research and write your own book? And well, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> they laid the challenge down and you went out and wrote the book. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I very did, good. I did. Yeah. Hey, Andrew, that's, that's some really cool stuff that you're sharing there. And here's a question for you, and that is, who's your favorite leader? Now, this person could be from history or alive. Who's your favorite leader and why? So thank you for the question, Dennis, but it's a trick question, and it's one that I get asked a lot and I refuse to answer. And the reason is, is that if you personify somebody – you, you run a huge risk because leadership is always about context. And I think this is something that a lot of leadership speakers miss. It's about context. It's time, place. You, you're the right leader for the right place. So for instance, growing up as an Englishman, of course, I was influenced by Sir Winston Churchill, our wartime leader. You know, he's hard to miss with his, you know, V sign and we will fight them on the beaches. But for the most of his political career and military career, Winston Churchill was an abject failure. And in fact, he did some terrible things. And uh, you know, you talk to Indians and they don't like Winston Churchill because you know he resisted Gandhi and the independence of India. Talk to New Zealanders, New Zealanders and Australians. They, you know, Winston Churchill was an architect of Gallipoli where the Anzus you know, died on the beaches. So you know, you'd say, well, Winston was the right leader at the right time and the right type of leader. Right. I recently, uh, when I was in Singapore, saw Barack Obama, and I love Barack Obama for his oratory. But, you know, we're seeing that he was, you know, he also oversaw the Afghan war and he also didn't do what was necessary. He, drone strikes under Barack Obama increased like crazy. So oratory on the one side, but he failed to leave a, a legacy. He failed to leave a succession plan. So we could criticize him. We could Pictures from sport. I mean, I remember when you know, we used to use Tiger Woods as an example for somebody who was open to getting coaching. And then Tiger Woods, of course, uh, blew up his, his marriage very publicly. So I would avoid picking one individual because mm -hmm. although I challenged leadership theory, I have studied leadership theory and I actually, hashtag ironically, ironically teach on MBA programs now. And leadership is always about the leader's style the followers' motivation and skill set and the situational context. 
And so I think leadership starts from the inside out. A, a leader could be a single mom bringing up, you know, a couple of kids on, you know, on a limited budget. And to that end, I used to talk about J.K. Rowling because I think her story is very inspirational. And then J.K. Rowling blew up in the, in the public space with her antagonism towards transgenders. So you see how it's, it's, it's fraught with difficulty, that question. Andrew, stop talking about these leaders because they keep blowing up after you talk about them. I mean, I know it's it's quite <laughs> funny how you are, how it all is. And I and what I'm getting from this is that, you know, for all of us as leaders, we can become leaders based on the context and what's going on in the situation. And of course, we can learn from everybody and take those learnings and do something with it, which is really important for us. Before you segue nicely onto the next question, can I just share an alternative to the question? Sure. Because I I, I anticipated the questions. I get asked it a lot. Now, your listeners can't see. You've met me, so you know. I actually have a tattoo on my forearm, and the tattoo says Spartacus. And a lot of people are curious, you know, why why Spartacus? They remember the, the 1960 movie with Kirk Douglas, and I am Spartacus. Interestingly, I was in my, my mother's belly at the time that that movie came out. My mum said I kicked all the way through the movie. So, <laughs> so they, but you see, the thing I like about Spartacus, myth or legend or historical figure, is Spartacus we know as the gladiator. And in that story, he mastered himself. He mastered his tools. He used two swords. He mastered the arena, the sand on which he had to fight. He mastered the crowd. As we know in, in, in the Roman gladiatorial games, if the, if the crowd wasn't on your side, then there was a good chance that you didn't, you didn't survive. Mm-hmm. Then the historical figure of, of Spartacus led volunteers, the, the slaves, during the, the servile re- revolt, and it took six or seven Roman legions under Marcus Crassus to eventually put him down. But he led a volunteer army. And so Spartacus was a leader who was a self-leader first and through his self-leadership influenced others. So I'm taking the best of that idea and concept and bringing it into my life and my leadership and that which I teach to others. And it's amazing. I mean, how many thousands of years that happened and, you know, and it's, it's, it's you bring it into your own life and other, words, and other leaders too. And it's, it's fascinating to see how that it's all played out for sure. Andrew, the segue into the next question is the show is called Leadership is Changing. When I say that title, what does that mean to you? And again, I, maybe I'm taking a contrary piece because, you know, I just dropped in Spartacus. I think leadership has been around obviously forever from our, from the first tribes. Somebody had to say, let's go hunt here. Let's go work together and bring down this mammoth. So to some extent, leadership hasn't changed. And if we look at leadership historically, political leadership has often been very directive, right? You, you have a king, you have a dictator, you have somebody. And so people have very low levels of autonomy and ownership. You and I grew up in, in, a, in a golden age of democracy where everybody had a vote and everybody had a chance. And there was at least the, the illusion of meritocracy, if not a true meritocracy. And so we're actually living in a blip of history where this concept of, of people uh, electing their leaders, their leaders um, encouraging other people to step up and lead. And yet we're seeing around the world actually that falling apart, a uh, move towards totalitarianism, towards nationalism. And at the same time, we have this pandemic, which has, has leveled the playing field, and we have an acceleration of digitization. 
So the reality is that leadership moving forwards is going to be in two phases. The people that are highly competent and taking ownership will be led as professionals are led today. Remember the, 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 the triangle of leader style, followers, competency and motivation and the environment. So if, if you're leading a group of, of scientists, a group of doctors, a group of professionals, you can't be directive. You have to be supportive or participative or consultative in your style and bring out the best in them. And so those people who are taking ownership, developing self-leadership, digital fluency will need to be led like that. Those that are not are, are going to be looking for solutions from the strong man or strong woman. And those people are going to be led, as we've already seen around the world, by people who say, I have all, all the answers and only I can fix it. So both in organizations and politically, we're going to see a dichotomy between two styles of leadership, depending on who the followers are. Mm -hmm. And we've the second one that you've just talked about, about the solution, the stronger man and woman and finding solutions that we've seen that over many generations, right? We would have seen it over... That is the default position of leadership through history. Hmm. And I think we can't, you know, my study of leadership is, I think you can't just study leadership without studying sociology, without studying anthropology, without studying, yep. you know, because what is it that allows somebody to step up? And it is, it is, it has to be an environmental advantage. Hmm. So if there is an advantage with people being empowered and engaged and creative, then that's there. And, and we have leaders that can embody that and bring out the best in people. And that is the leadership that we, we talk about and we want to see. But after the, the election in 2016 of Donald Trump, and I know some people will be supporters, some people will not be, whether you're American or not, what we saw was the, you know, the epitome of somebody who came in and said, only I can fix it. And in a global democracy that, uh, sorry, we tend to think of America as being global democracy, we saw very much a swing towards that strong man leader that you have in Russia with Putin, or you have in, you have Erdogan in, in, in Turkey around the world. You're seeing that big swing back to the default. So the leadership of, I'm going to bring people together, empower, engage them, drive creativity, that needs to be protected. Mm -hmm. That needs to be nurtured because we need that because without that, we won't get the creativity and we won't get the advancement of humankind, which is something I think we need to wake up to. Yeah, very, very good. There's some good points here. Thank you. Now, your business industry, has that changed for you, particularly over the last year and a half? And if so, what, how, how has that affected you or what demands has it put on you? Huge chuckle there. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think anybody could sit at the end of that question and, and say everything was absolutely normal. The difference is, I mean, the huge change with the pandemic in starting, let's say, February, March 2020, I was already prepared. So having been through a business disruption in 2000, having been through the global financial crisis a few years later, I was ready to be disrupted. I was looking at my industry of speaking and coaching and the fact that I was, you know, jumping on airplanes and flying around the world based out of Singapore. I went, well, what if? What if I can't do that anymore? How do I earn an income? So in, I think in 2017, I, I, I undertook my first virtual facilitation course and, and went, how do I do what I do in a virtual space? 2018, I started, I, I created my first digital project product. In 2019, I actually gave a speech at a conference saying disruption is here. Mm. And by this time, I had my own studio and I was able to, to service my clients from Singapore to Silicon Valley, as, as you said in your introduction. 
and and I was ready. So when 2020 hit and we were not able to travel, when my speaking engagements were cancelled, I was able to seamlessly pivot into the online space. I was able to offer programs virtually. And, and that gave me a level of geographic independence, which is why I was able to relocate to Portugal. I'd spent 18 years in Singapore. It was time for a breath of fresh air. And I literally get a breath of fresh air from the Atlantic now with where I live. Uh, for me, that's new horizons. It's new creativity. It does mean that I have a, a I'm, I'm doing a, a, a full day, or, which is which comprises of three 90-minute sessions for a client in Vietnam next week. And that means I'm going to be uh, starting at 2.30 in the morning. You know, that's a small price to pay for lifestyle and for safety. And, you know, I'm not going through airports and putting myself and my family and other people at risk during a pandemic. So what's changed is the acceleration of digitization. And that was always on the cards. And those are the sorts of clients I work with. So I wasn't surprised. What was so impressive was how organizations who said, well, we're never going to do work from home or work from home doesn't work, <laughs> suddenly go, hey, you lot, you're going to have to work from home. So there's that side. The other side is pertaining to your audience of leaders is how fragile some of the leaders I, I'm coaching became, mm. particularly in the early phases, because their identity was often you know, linked to stock price or to, to success. They had a runway that they had in their mind for their business, and suddenly that was disrupted. And so I, I actually saw CEOs go quite personal. Why me? Why has this happened to me? And one thing about this pandemic is you couldn't personalize. You couldn't make what it happened to me because it happened to everybody. Yep. And so, you know, the coaching was, well, it's not about you. In fact, Let's not think about you. Let's think about you're a leader. How are you supporting your people and shifting them from, you know, sucking their own thumbs and curled up on the floor to go, now's an opportunity to really step up and develop your your people and your organization. And I've seen some tremendous success stories with that, with leaders that have, they've, their growth has been accelerated by this challenge. Yeah, it's amazing. I had a guy turn around and say to me at the beginning of the, the, the first lockdown, he goes, oh, I'm just going to wait for it to blow over. And I'm like, what? You know, in hindsight now, he would have been waiting a long time. And I said to him, no, you won't. And he goes, what do you, what do you mean? I says, your team needs you now more than ever. They need you to be the rock. They need you to show where they're going to go and, and for them to, for you to help them for sure. So yeah, it's really interesting to see how that's planned out for a lot of people. Indeed. Andrew, I'm going to ask this question of you as a leader yourself, and that is if there was one thing you could change in business as a leader today, what would that be? The understanding of psychological safety. Mm. I think the, the Google project the, where Google you know, studied all their, their teams and they looked for what were the success factors and they had a hypothesis that it was about getting the right people together. You know, you've got the, ex, you know, you've got the ideas person and the tech person and the person who's really good at execution and the person that's really good at administration of the process. And if they got, you got the right people, you got the right team. And, and a lot of people you know, keep swapping people in and out to try and get that right chemistry of the team. But what Google found was that the key was psychological safety. And another we, we've known about psychological safety in a different way from something in psychology known as the, the prisoner's dilemma. 
And the prisoner's dilemma, if, if your audience uh, doesn't know it, let me just mansplain it for a moment. You know, you put two prisoners, uh, you know, two, two people are caught by the police and, and the police put them in separate rooms. They can't talk. And they say, look, if you, if you turn on your, on your compatriot, you know, you'll get off free, but he'll get five years. And if you don't, you know, you'll, you'll definitely go down for four years or whatever. But the, it's, it's a, it's a piece out of game theory. And, and the, the only way to win it is for both parties to stay silent. Because if they both turn on each other or one turns on the other, the actual sum of the amount of prison time is greater. Now, the only way to resolve the prisoner's dilemma is for the two prisoners to actually be able to talk to each other and go, look, if we stay quiet, we're good, right? And that's what's missing in the world today is that I see the world as a global prisoner's dilemma. You know, somebody saying, well, I, I don't want to wear masks because it's an invasion of my privacy. And other people saying, well, yeah, no, we need to wear masks for the community. The fact that we're all better off when we collaborate. And so the thing that I would change the most, and, and you know, I, I've been a very competitive individual through my life, but one thing about turning 60 is getting that 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 perspective of I am better when I'm with others. I write better books when I collaborate with other authors. I create better programs when I collaborate with other people. When I come from an abundance where I can go, hey, I'm going to give my ideas and, and I'm not afraid to have them shot down. And that's when the good stuff happens. And as, as, as a human species, we've done some incredible things when we've collaborated, when we feel safe amongst each other. And the one thing that if your audience can take away today is create a safe space for people to collaborate and contribute in community. When we've got those three things happening, we stop this, oh, well, I've got to look after me because that's the end of humanity right there. Yep, that's absolutely right. And, you know, we've seen that in the pandemic and I know every country did it differently in every country that, but I look at New Zealand as an example. And what we did is the, they call it the team of 5 million, Andrew, and what they did to actually help and actually get down to zero COVID cases for a long period of time, it took the whole team to be able to do that. And yeah, there were people who were not really wanting to do it, but they did it. They got together and they did it and, and talked about it. But I love what you're saying. Create a safe environment for people to collaborate within the community. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Collaborate, contribute and create community. Right. Lots yeah. of C's there. I love alliterations, you see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And that's wonderful. And the psychological safety is, is, a, is a great thing to talk about because – as you said, if we can talk through things together, we can achieve so much more together, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the, you know, we, we've seen you know one of the, the negatives of the rise of social media, of course, is the inability of people to listen to other people's perspectives. Mm. And uh, you know, I I lived through that. You know, I, I like to make a stand. I've I've said a couple of things on your show that uh, will may raise the ire of some of your listeners. And I'm I'm I would say you are welcome to your perspective, but you I I was asked my perspective and I've given mine. But I will listen to yours. You know, and mm -hmm. and I've done that. What I found with the rise you know, was when I would make a stand on something, then and then I would get attacked with the straw man argument. Right, you are this, and and the name calling instead of trying to understand well, what's what's your perspective? What are you trying to achieve here? And so, you know, politically, socially, we are really struggling with a sense of community. I'm a I'm I'm a child of the space race. You know, I, w I was born in 1961, which was the year J.F. Kennedy said we would go to the to the moon and back. It was the year Yuri Gagarin orbited planet Earth. So in 1968, Apollo, no, which was it? Apollo eight. 
one of the Apollo spacecrafts comes around the moon the first time. They, the first time they went around the dark side of the moon and they came up the other side and they get that amazing photo, Earthrise. Mm. Awesome. December 24th. And I'm forgetting my dates now. It was, I think it's Apollo 8, 1968. And, and so you get Earthrise and you see this blue-green planet suspended in, in space. And, you know, as a, as, a, as a species, we should have got an epiphany, right? This is our home, right? One planet, one tribe, one future. Yep. And here we are all these years later and, and we seem to be less united in many ways. Now, we have made some tremendous advances and I just hope that you know, our leaders from the community will start to get people. We have to, you know, the key element of, of leadership is not speaking but listening. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And I, I, I just, oh, I'm loving everything you're saying here because the thing is one planet, one tribe, one future. It's it's pretty obvious, team. And if we're not sort of thinking that way, I actually think that a lot of people are getting complacent and probably not having that gratitude of what we've got in our hands today for sure. And uh, Andrew, I'm sure that people will get wound up about things that you say and I say on our podcasts and other things that we do in life as well. But that's what we're here for as leaders is not only to be there with leaders, but to actually stretch leaders in their thinking, get them to think. Nothing worse, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, nothing worse than a leader who doesn't have an opinion or a leader who doesn't make a decision. I, there's nothing worse than that. <laughs> Yes, well, yeah, we're, we're both on the we're, we're both on the same page there. Uh, I'm actually thinking of somebody in particular who frustrated me when they wouldn't take a position. So, you know, sometimes you're better off to take the wrong position than no position. Right. And you know, here's the thing about decision making, of course, and, and leaders are always making decisions. And, and of course, you know, as a, as a, as a decision-making is, is a subset of leadership and it's something I, I teach regularly or, or, or lecture on regularly. And, and it is the realization that decisions are evaluated down time. We should evaluate decisions at the point that they were made, right? So a bad decision can sometimes you know, give you a good result. You could be lucky, and sometimes a good decision can give you the wrong result, uh, give you a, a negative result because the circumstances changed. The question is, at the time, did you, you know, evaluate the options and choices? Did you weigh them up in terms of the intent that you were going? Did you consider the people and stakeholders? Did you consider the outcome of the outcome? And then did you make the decision, right? And if you didn't do those things, then you shouldn't really be taking the credit. And if you did do the things and it didn't turn out, then you shouldn't be beating yourself up. You should be going, okay, it's time to make a new decision with new information. Yeah, and if I go back to what you shared right at the beginning when I asked that question about your favorite leader, and you talked about those various leaders, and at the time, they were the right leader at the time, and they went out and did certain things. And there's a prime example of what you're just talking about there for sure. Andrew, the question is that we've talked about leaders and we talked about making decisions and, and psychological safety and so forth, creating a community, collaborating and contributing towards it. Let's talk about employee side of things now. How have employees' expectations of leaders changed? I don't know is the answer to that. I think people are people and they have different levels of self-awareness. One of the things that's going to change that I, I didn't talk about when you asked about change is one of the big changes in psychology is the recognition of the lack of free will, that most of us, it's a bit of a lottery. You know, who your parents were, did you go to a good school, did you have good nutrition, right? So, you know, you and I didn't get to choose our IQ. It, it pretty much was, you know, that was those were the cards that we were dealt with. And so the reality is that some people just don't have the same options and advantages of others. 
And you know, one of the things that society is going to grapple with and is, well, you know, for instance, even incarceration, I don't, there's, a, there's a statistic that 25% of people incarcerated in the United States have some level of brain damage. So the, the question then becomes around, you know, responsibility. Here I am preaching responsibility and ownership, but you have to have some self-awareness around taking that ownership and making the best of the cards that you've been dealt. Hmm. So- you know, when we ask this, who are the employees that which you're asking? You know, the educated employees have become extremely entitled and said, well, I want more, I want more, I want more. And, and to an extent, as long as they're prepared to contribute more, there's no reason for them to not. The ones that don't have the awareness and are operating at a much lower level of needs-based motivation are really going to continue to do what's always happened through history, which is they will go where they think they're going to maximize their lot. You know, it's a simple algorithm, you know, who who's going to give me the better pay and who's going to give me the better conditions? And as much as they have the choice to do that. So with the with the people that that aren't practicing self-leadership, educating themselves, taking ownership, I don't think things are going to change particularly much, except their lot is going to get worse in life because the number of manual jobs is going to decrease. Yeah, yeah. And they are going to struggle and we're going to potentially have a disenfranchised class. So mm. these these are the big questions that leaders should be talking about. And unfortunately, I don't see enough leaders talking about it openly because they're just worried about the next election. But yep. we, we, we need both sets of employees have to understand if I maximize my lot, but that diminishes the lot of somebody else. Does that make me safer? And the answer is no, it doesn't. I mean, New Zealand has is, is, is got some great social studies. In fact, a friend of mine is a psychologist from New Zealand. And in, in his PhD, he, you know, he showed that, that crime isn't an absolute figure, right? You are going to get more crime, not in a low economic neighborhood. You're going to get more crime when that low economic neighborhood is next to a wealthy neighborhood. So comparison, as the Buddha said, is the seat of all unhappiness. So where employees, to your answer, are changing is that they can compare easier. Mm. And this is where revolutions happen, is when we can compare our lot with somebody else. When we didn't expect very much more than, you know, our father worked at the steel mill, so we'll work at the steel mill. You know, your father worked in the coal mine, I'll work in the coal mine. Well, the coal mines don't exist anymore. The steel mills are a few and far between. And so these people are disenfranchised. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a bigger problem that we're going to have. Yeah, that's a huge topic. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So we talked earlier on about the fact of what leadership is changing is, and then also we talked about you as a leader, what how your business and industry has changed, and then what was the one thing you would do as a leader to change in business and so forth. What about the listeners, leaders today? What makes a leader successful in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? What do you think is one or two things that would make somebody successful as a leader today? Well, if, if I was to pick one word, it's agility. Right? Hmm. And it is, it is, we see this, I mean, a lot of my clients are in the software space. So uh, agile software production is, is something that I, I understand from, from an observer's perspective. And the, the ability to make changes, you know, to review a perspective and a paradigm and go, does it have to be this way? Right. How can, you know, what can I do to change my horizons? Now, you know, I dropped into this, you know, I've, I've, I've literally changed my horizons. And, and I wrote a blog about that and um, I'll, I'll, we'll put a link to my blog perhaps in the, in the description, but I wrote a blog about this, you know, how I, how I moved from Singapore to, to Portugal in the midst of a pandemic. Now, hmm. 
there were logistic issues, but the big issue was 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 a mindset one. I'm invested here. You know, this is this is where my business is. Can I move it? You know, what are the constraints? What are the paradigms? And I thought through the thing strategically. You spoke to one of your clients about you can't sit this one through. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, sitting down doing what if scenarios and going, I honestly can't see this being any less than three years. And that I did that in March 2020. I drew those lines and said, okay, what if, what do I have to do about my business? And so what leaders need to do is to take a balcony view, step back from their life, their business, their options, the world, and, and even take a step back from the balcony view, maybe take a rafter view and get much more strategic and do some what-if scenarios. And that gives you the flexibility. Don't get stuck on a train track. Now, consistency is useful, but not consistency if that train track is going in the wrong direction. So, yeah, or there's, or there's a train coming towards you, right? For sure, for sure. So I, I think that's, you know, the key thing I do with the leaders that I coach and work with is, is really help them to, to, to get that, the balcony and the, the rafters view, to play the what-if scenarios, to argue against their own premises, right? You know, schools that, that teach debating, I think, are, are equipping their, their, their students with some of the best skills. Your ability to argue against your own premise. What if I'm wrong here? And, and not to have our egos locked up in that and, and then ask the real question, what's the best course of action now and into the future? And it's that mental agility. So the people that are listening to this podcast are already self-selected because they're listening to you, Dennis. They're curious. They're asking the question, how can I be a better leader? And that's the self-leadership question. How can I be a better version of me? Mm, right? Mm. And so you know, the people we're speaking to today are already self-selected on that so they can give themselves a pat on the back. And all I would do is, is encourage you, keep doing it. Keep asking those questions. Is this the best way to do it? Am I being the best version of me right now? And if not, what is? And making that change. Yeah, excellent. Fascinating stuff. Listeners, is this the best way I'm, that I could be doing this? Or should I be doing it differently? Just asking that question and holding yourself in the sense whereby I actually like what you said to Andrew. Don't beat yourself up about it. I mean, the thing is, is it is what it is. But if you can ask those questions and then see if there's a different perspective, then that'd be great. Wonderful. Great things to see. Andrew, if I'm going to get you to get your crystal ball out now, and I know you sort of touched on things about the future, but if I was to ask you, where do you see leadership being in five years from now? I'm hopeful that five years from now, the pandemic is in our rearview mirror. Historically, you know, after the pandemic of 1980, we had the roaring 20s. And so in five years, we potentially have an uptick. This could be you know, a really sweet moment. So I think, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I think we'll have both the good, bad and the ugly. Right. I think the reality is that we, we the, the ugliness of autocracy is not going to go away. But I think we, we, we will see some real conversations around moving us forwards. I am hoping that there is an awakening from this, that our arrogance of our superiority over this planet has taken a bit of a beating. And, you know, we are going to be facing the realities of climate, climate change. We are going to be facing the realities of automation and AI and how that's happening and, and, and the challenges of a stratification of society. So I'm hoping we really see some people stepping up and, and being collaborative and doing. So I don't know where it's going to be, but I do hope that mm. we get more of the good and less of the bad and the ugly. Yeah, excellent. 
Hey, listeners, I'm here with Andrew, and he's shared some wonderful things with us today. Andrew, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where should they go? Uh, the simplest. I mean, I talk about self-leadership and I own the domain. So selfleadership.com is where you find me. I'm all over LinkedIn. I, I regularly post articles on LinkedIn. I have a YouTube channel, which is selfleadership.tv. But for your listeners today, if you're interested in downloading my 2016 book on self-leadership and getting some, some coaching, I have a, an offer for you, which is at selfleadership.com forward slash SLA. That's S for self, L for leadership and A for Accelerator, SLA. And there is an offer to download the book and get some of my ideas and coaching around self-leadership to get you started on your journey. Awesome. Hey, Andrew, once again, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been great talking to you today about leadership's changing. My pleasure. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for the episodes as they've been released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friend, your family, your network. If there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if you have a question for me on the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 